0: We chose this hymn to fit the sermon series of discipleship. We hope the words speak to your heart. Come touch our
1: hearts that we may know compassion. From failing embers build a blazing fire, love strong touch and bless our hearts come touch us souls that we may know and love you your quiet presence all of his despair create a space for spirit to grow in us let life and beauty fill us come touch and bless our souls come touch our minds and teach us how to reason set free our thoughts to wonder and to dream help us to open doors of Standing, lay welcome truth and wisdom. Come, touch and bless our minds. Come, touch us in the moments we are fragile, and in our weakness, your great strength reveal that we may rise to follow and to serve. Steady now on earth, come touch and bless our souls. Come touch us now, this people who are gathered to break the bread and share the cup of peace. That we may love you with the heart our soul our mind, our strength, our all come touch us with your grace.
0: May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Mark 12, 28 through 30. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Our second reading is from 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is God's word to God's people.
2: Thanks be to God. So we're focusing on discipleship through this season of Lent, and remember we're defining a disciple as someone who follows, who learns from, who uh, is drawn to in obedience, to, following in the footsteps of, with the attitudes and the mind of someone, and in our context we're talking about that being Christ Jesus, that we are aspiring to be faithful disciples of Christ. And so, I'm, I'm hitting home at this point that a disciple is more than a churchgoer, is more than a steward, is more than a worker through the committees of the church, a disciple is more than a believer, uh, more than a doctrine espouser, a disciple may be all of these things, a disciple is a follower a person that has given themselves over to Christ Jesus and is intentionally following to become as much like Christ Jesus as the person can become. So, your pastors think there's some core principles about this discipleship stuff that we can lift up and highlight for you and uh, hopefully encourage you to embody And that is what this sermon series and study series is all about, trying to identify what it actually looks like to be a disciple of Christ. Our first core principle that we lifted up last week was about the church, about our being together with one another, and that a a core principle of discipleship is that this congregation is a training center and is a mission base for discipleship. We were reminded that the church's purpose is to make, to mature, and to mobilize disciples for the transformation of the world, that the church is the context in which this faith is experienced and through which this faith is then expressed, a place where we're trained up and then equipped to go out. As I go back and read about Methodist history, it strikes me that the Methodist movement had tremendous growth because it was not a sect seeking a proper doctrine or the right liturgical practices, but rather it sought to help people have a personal relationship with God and find the expression of that relationship through their caring to others. And we have inherited that. That's in our DNA whether we're cognizant of it or not. And, and Rachel and I want to make you, help you to be cognizant of that, that this, that this love relationship with God and love relationship with one another is key to who we are as United Methodist Christians. That vertical and horizontal movement of the Spirit. And it's grounded on what Wesley thought was the essential core foundation of the faith. And he reached back to Jesus for this. He grounded himself in in Jesus' statement about the greatest commandment, and the second is likened unto it our love of God and our love of neighbor. This was key for Wesley, and this is key, I think, for us. He gathered people together into groups, um, what we might nowadays call spiritual uh, growth groups. In his day, they were just called classes. They got together, and they uh, shared their challenges that they experienced in being faithful people. It's amazing that they did this so readily, apparently they were willing to make themselves vulnerable and to work with one another to become more faithful people. There was a power in that sharing and helping with one another that um, just set this movement of Methodism on fire and moving forward. You may recall, back earlier than the 50s, Methodist churches still did have these kind of classes, these spiritual growth groups. Back in the 80s and 90s, they came back, cycled back to us, being called covenant discipleship groups, and now there's a thing afoot called huddles. Rachel and I have uh, been to a couple continuing education experiences so that we would be able to help facilitate huddles. Here in Armist, we look forward to doing that in the year or so ahead. So take a look at your insert, to the image side of your insert. You You will see that at the top of it, it's called works of piety. This is in Wesley's parlance, the loving of God works of piety expressed through our private devotions and through our public worship. And then you'll see down at the, at the bottom, there's works of mercy. This is Wesley's understanding of love of neighbor. And you'll notice that on the left side, those are individual acts. On the right side are corporate acts. So it gets to be fun. You can twirl your way around that and get into it in different ways. This was Wesley's understanding of how we lived into love of God and love of neighbor, love of God through our personal devotions and our public worship, love of neighbor through our acts, individual acts of compassion and collective acts of social justice. I was taken by this model, and so this is our thoughts of four other Core principles of discipleship. We're not only a, a training base and a mission, uh, training center and a mission base, but to be disciples of Christ, we're engaged in personal, individual devotions, public worship, individual acts of compassion, and collective acts of compassion called social justice. So today we're looking at the, the upper left-hand corner of this image. We're looking at the core principle of works of piety through individual acts of devotion. And I want to say a word about piety. It seems to me that, that somehow I got into a, uh, a time warp and started using piety around the office and everything and, and got ridiculed, as I probably should have been. Apparently, piety is not a cool word nowadays, and most people don't use piety. They don't think of being pious as a positive quality. Are you among those? Um, And I don't know where this went out of fashion, probably somewhere um, some years ago, where pious people turned out to be judgmental people. Stuffy and self-righteous or hypocritical, pietistic, pharisaic, goody-goodies. I don't know, but in the parlance of Wesley in the 1700s, piety was not a bad word. And so here it is on our graph. Works of piety. What is piety anyway? Piety is holiness, is trying to be personally holy, reverent, reverential, God loving, God fearing, faithful, being good inside, spiritually grounded, morally based, virtuous. These are words for being pious. So, if you're, if, you're stuck on, if you're stuck on the word and that's going to get in the way of you being a good disciple of Christ, let me just ask you to throw in personal holiness. Holiness as the word for piety. Works of holiness is what the top part is. Works of holiness. So, a core principle of discipleship for us this morning is that Disciples love God through their personal devotional life. As I've written on the top of the backside of that image, transformed by God's love, touched by God's love, made different thanks to God's love, the disciple then is compelled, feels led to, wants to love God back. Disciples seek to love the Lord their God with their whole being. They want to grow in their love and knowledge of God and keep spiritually connected to the nurturing and the renewing source of their lives. And so, individual and private devotions are a key way through which we grow in our personal holiness. our personal love of God. So, some practical advice. Pray. Anybody pray? You you guys are prayers, right? Yeah. No better way to experience the love of God than to be a frequent and consistent prayer. Graces at meals... You're thankful for the bounty of God's creation, which is fortunately ours, the way it is here. Morning and evening prayers. If you don't do that, that is a good way of stepping forward in your prayer life. Take the time when you wake up so that uh, the first, or if you can't make it the first, the second thing you do in the morning (laughs) is prayer. Make the time for it. And as you wrap up the day, as you're settling down, be in prayer. See if it doesn't add a fullness to your experience of God in your life. Now, if you really wanted to be a rock star, you would pray five or seven times a day. There's Christians that do that, um, mostly, they're monks. <laughs> but they do it for a reason. They do it because it's good. And if you could find the way, perhaps, to pray in the morning, pray in the middle of the day, pray at night, or observe the offices, as they're called, do you no harm. Actually, it'd be a lot of fun. And maybe what you want to do is just dedicate a certain amount of time, maybe after work, before dinner, dedicate a half hour to just have extended period of prayer. And forget about all this other noise. Just do it then, in a real concerted way. The point is, if you want to grow in your love of God, one of the best ways of doing that is to up your game in prayer. Now, some people like to meditate, and uh, that's kind of cool. You can kind of be Zenish, a little bit Zenish. You can try to just. Work the stress out of your life by centering yourself and, and trying to quiet the monkey mind and have that sense of, of emptiness, of nothingness. Um, most all of us live two stressful lives, and meditation would be a good health thing for us as well as a God-connecting thing for us. But you could, you could Christianize your, your Zen stuff by having the, the centering word that you're going after Instead of being uh, an emptiness, be exploring the concept of grace or trying to bathe yourself in the experience of God's permeating love and have your mind keep focusing to that as you meditate. There's no better way to increase your knowledge of the love of God then through Bible reading, I'm told that most all of you have Bibles, Uh, is is that right? All right, you know where they are? All right, we're on our way, okay, do you read it? You read them too? I love you, excellent, excellent. There's no no better way to grow in your knowledge. And what's most important of all is to try to read the whole business, to try to get the whole sense of God's movement through time, bringing forward our salvation. The Bible is full of accounts of people being inspired by God, God's revelation falling upon them, them trying to communicate that about 1,500 to 2,000 years' worth of that kind of stuff. And if you read well, you'll pick up a, a common core theme of God's covenantal love towards us, wanting to redeem us, bring us back, capture us, and bring us back into God's embrace, back into the garden or back into the full consummation of the kingdom. Nothing better than doing some good Bible study and getting a sense of the sense we made of our sense of God's talking to us and how that morphed and changed and developed or evolved over those 2,000 years and how even though we think the canon is closed, Bible Basic 1 people, right? Even though we think the canon is closed, we still maintain that God is speaking nonetheless. God did not close the book and take off. But God is still with us bringing more light. Or you could just focus in on Paul. Just read Paul. And then... Read John and try to compare John to Peter and Peter to Paul. And were they the same guy? No. Did they have different points of view? Yes. And what were those different points of view? What were their emphases, the things that were important to them? A lot of fruitful stuff in Scriptures for getting a handle on who God is, how God loves us, what hopes God has for us in loving one another and loving God back. But you're not wasting your time if you do other studies. If you you study just religious stuff, that's good to do. That will help you to round out a feeling about God, perhaps your love of God. Read the saints and see the challenges that they lived through and how they persevered. And maybe realize that you're pretty good. You kind of measure up a little bit here. You're seizing the moment of your time to be saintly, to bring forward God's love in challenging ways. Reading the saints is helpful to get your hutspot. You might want to delve into church history to see what a murky mess that has been. All the twists and turns that has happened to this collective effort. Yet still... Yet still, is the love of God present in our churches? Yes. And is it changing lives? Yes. And did they go through horrific times? Yes. And did they persevere to the goodness of the gospel? Yes. It gives us good perspective. And I don't know, if you like those warm, fuzzy books, read them too. They're, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with Chicken Soup for the Soul. You can, you can read those and, and cuddle yourself and feel good. I like a theologian though for, for getting into some real deep thoughts and there's plenty of them out there to read that will help round out your understanding of who God might be. It helps. Prayer Meditation, Bible study, religious book study. It helps to awaken us, helps us to find ways by which to understand and to love how we are loved by God and to love God back. Now, I'm told that fasting is also a tried and true discipline. I can see some of you grimacing. I've got to confess to you that as, as much as this is a standard Uh, spiritual discipline of our movement. The only time I have fasted is by accident. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. But I am told that fasting is really a powerful spiritual discipline, especially for those of us who live in abundance, who have just about everything we could possibly want whenever we want it. To go into a practice of denying self. Even some things that are as important as food. um, Can help to unsettle ourselves. And crack open different parts of our spirit. To see things a little differently. I know that there are. There's another side to the Lenten discipline of giving something up, which is kind of like fasting, and that is taking something on. And I, I want to applaud the hundred or so of you who are in our groups during the week for this study, because you have taken on for yourself as a discipline this uh, study, and, and I think that's a marvelous thing. Thank you for doing that. I think it will pay dividends to you. All these devotional ways are are ways by which we can help ourselves to grow intentionally in our love of God through how we spend some private devotional time. So, while you're doing it, while, while you do a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, do it with the intention of growing in closeness to God. Be mindful of that. Ask in your prayer life that that is what this is about so that you might actually become cognizant of an increased amount of love for you from God. Notice the areas where you feel confident and where you feel strength in doing these things. And then notice the areas in which you're a little unnerved or uneasy or or hesitant about doing. And, And maybe you want to go to your strength, but maybe it might be good to turn towards the awkward side and explore why that's hard for yourself and see if God might shed some light for you. Be patient with the slowness of this process. Apparently, since God is this eternal being, He's not so concerned with minutes and seconds. Sometimes feels like a slower mover than we want. We want the answer right now, before I go out the door, before I get home. And apparently... Spiritual growth kind of things move a little slower. So be patient. Don't become impatient. And know that in the repetitiveness of some of this stuff, you will actually find you being strengthened in your way of doing this stuff. Like the gym analogy we were talking about last week and the drills of sports and things like that. In the repetitiveness comes the strength. And in the, in the familiarity of something can sometimes come the deeper insights. In the practice of individual and personal devotions, you will discover that you have a better sense of your real relationship with God. You'll notice more and more that that relationship is characterized by love. You'll find that more readily, you take on those inner qualities of holiness And you will find yourself, over time, actually spiritually maturing. Being more emotionally balanced, more centered, more peaceful. And all those ways are great ways to be. So, let's do this. Let's embrace this core principle of discipleship. Let's remember that as disciples of Christ, we engage in individual and private devotions as a way to grow in our love of God. And as we create an image, as we create a goal to aim at an image that we're aspiring to become like that's called a disciple of Christ, recognize that a big segment of that is a person who has a devotional life. A person who spends time Individually and privately in devotion to God. That's one of the core principles of being a disciple of Christ. So get after it. Go for it. Amen.